Thanks for tuning in to Witch Wednesdays with Steph for a chat about a new witchcraft topic every Wednesday morning. Welcome back to Witch Wednesdays. I'm Steph and you are listening to episode 96, Samhain and Pagan Origins of Halloween, which I combined into one episode since they all tie together. And I have a special guest here today that you all know and love and it's Tara. Uh, I know that everybody loves Tara. We've had a few Tara episodes in the last um, month and a half because yeah. this is this is Tara's season. Yeah, <laughs> she comes alive. Season of me. <laughs> uh, she is a Libra, so as you're listening to this, we just passed her birthday. Uh, but yeah, this is this is her season to come alive. So <laughs> she's it really is episodes because these are all like her favorite, favorite. topics. That, yeah, have <laughs> come up. Uh, this is my time. Yeah, and Samhain is one of her favorite holidays, so yes. it's so much here, here to chat. Uh, so we are going to go over what Samhain is, the sort of history and traditions, and then Tara is going to tell you the Wiccan side of things. And then as far as uh, the pagan origins of Halloween, is we are going to talk about jack-o'-lanterns and trick-or-treating and costumes because those aren't technically part of Samhain. They really, but they have pagan origins (laughs) um, that associate them with Halloween, which is, you know, they're celebrated on the same day. So people think that Samhain and Halloween are the same thing, but they definitely, Uh yeah, definitely not. Yeah, we're going to get into that but I I do love Samhain like as a holiday but it's not my favorite because I am so Halloween focused like the secular side of this day that I really just love the the spooky like Halloween decorations and horror movies and all those things which have nothing to do with Samhain so you can celebrate with them anyway I do yeah I do I do too but that is why (laughs) um Yule is my favorite holiday because I don't mm-hmm. celebrate Christmas, but Yule is basically the same thing without baby Jesus. So I get to enjoy all of the, you know, Yule festivities, Christmas festivities. Um, but since that one is so different, I mostly focus on Halloween at this time of year, but we'll get into all of that. So starting with history and traditions, Tara and I did an episode last year in season one at this time, if you want to check it out. Yeah, that was all about, um, correspondences and how to celebrate. We're going to talk a little bit about that today, but if you want like the full in-depth episode that we did before, that is last season. So we're just going to go over some history and traditions for this one. Yep. So Samhain, as we talked about last year, which you can already tell by the title, is spelled S-A-M-H-A-I-N. So unless you're mean, you can't spell things out. So (laughs) Um, a lot of people, um, New witches and and old sometimes pronounce this Samhain. Yep, I do. I, I see nothing wrong with that because we've already talked about pronunciation in many episodes. But if you have only ever like seen this word written down and you pronounce it Samhain, I'm not going to be mad at you. Um, Good, because I did. <laughs> it is a Gaelic word. We yes. think it's pronounced Samhain or Samhain, but nobody can be a hundred percent sure. And it either means end of summer. Or beginning of summer. We can't agree on that either because in the Northern Hemisphere celebrating this time, it is the end of summer, 
but it is technically the beginning of summer in the underworld. So nobody, <laughs> there's no consensus on whether it means end of summer or beginning of summer. So we also consider it the beginning of the year uh, for the will of the year. So it's very confusing saying end, beginning, it's topsy-turvy. Yeah, we have no idea, but it is, it is a Gaelic festival. So it's one of the yes. four greater Sabbaths in the Wiccan tradition, which Tara will talk about. Um, that is one of those four Celtic fire festivals and Tara loves the fire. You guys, <laughs> you can't see me, but Steph can. And I'm like, so excited. I've got a big grin on my face. I love the fires. Yeah. She loves the fire festivals. Oh my gosh. So, yes. Definitely one of her favorites, but this one is specifically marking the end of the harvest season. This is a third yes. harvest festival. If you've been paying attention. Yes. <laughs> yes. I was telling Steph uh, at the beginning, like I always have to double check which harvest festival we're on. Cause I feel like they go on so long. You're like, wait, which harvest festival is this? I mean, this one's a big one. A lot of people know this one, but it's like, there's this harvest festival and this harvest festival and this harvest festival. <laughs> yeah. We went from the harvest to Maybon to Sa now Sawed and they're all considered yep. harvest festivals. So this is yep. like the third and final <laughs> harvest festival. This is the uh, so, guys. <laughs> yeah. This begins winter and the darker half of the year. And yep. it, it's considered when we think about it as being November 1st, we don't think of there being anything left to harvest, which is really true. So this kind of marked um, for the ancient Celts, it was believed that anything left in the fields after this day is for the fairy. So if you take it, you're going to be cursed. So anything that's left out there is fairy offering. So you have to get everything in before this day. So that's why I guess it's considered also a harvest festival. And like I said, in, okay. up here in the Northern hemisphere, it's held on November 1st with celebrations beginning on October 31st. At sunset. Yeah, the Celtic day began and ended at sunset rather than what we think of it as, you know, sunrise to sunset being a day. So that is why it is celebrated October 31st to November 1st and opposite in the Southern hemisphere, it is, um, April 30th to May 1st, which is when Beltane is celebrated in the Northern Hemisphere. So another great holiday, guys. This is this is one that Southern Hemisphere witches have a lot of issue with. I get a lot of questions about that of when to celebrate because the traditions are so closely tied with Halloween yeah. um, that even some uh, Southern, Southern Hemisphere witches decide to celebrate Samhain on this day just because like the rest of their community around them is celebrating Halloween and it's so easy to like put out the decorations and sort of like feel in within that community and in that spirit so this yeah. is one that a lot of Southern Hemisphere witches celebrate in October anyway. Well and part of the harvest also going back to that is this is when it started getting cold uh, in the Northern Hemisphere even on the British Isles so they would gather in uh, flocks of grazing animals because they let them just roam free basically all summer getting fat and sassy. And this is when they really needed to start finding their uh, flock as it were to bring them closer to home for the winter so that they'd survive through the cold of winter. So that's part of the harvest as well. Or to slaughter them and eat them. <laughs> yes. Yes. Or they bring them in the house, cuddle them for warmth, and then kill and eat them. So, <laughs> which we, I talked about in last week's um, episode with Heather. She mentioned how bonfires, in the episode about bones, how the word bonfire comes from bone fire. That is 
from this time, throwing the bones of these animals into the fire. So, yep. You already learned about that one. <laughs> but the more you know. Yay. Uh, so, Samhain actually goes back pretty far. Um, it is generally, general consensus is that it has these Celtic pagan origins because there are uh, Neolithic passage tombs in Ireland, we've talked about those before, that align with the sunrise at the time of Samhain. And they have tombs, we've talked about this with various holidays, um, that line up with the equinoxes. And yep. when that sun is in a certain position at those times of years, it shines into these tombs to light them up. And they have ones that specifically in Ireland that are arise, are aligned with sunrise on Samhain. So it goes back pretty far. It's first mentioned in uh, Irish literature in the ninth century. And it's this is one that's particularly associated with a lot of um, different events in Irish mythology. So lots of gatherings and feasts and um, burial mounds are met mentioned in this early Irish literature because it was seen as a time when portals were open to the underworld and you could see, and that's where we get this idea of the veil being the thinnest between the worlds. And that's what spirits can cross over and um, you work with ancestors at this time, um, goes back super far in literature. Yeah, this is also why right now is such a good time to work with the Fae. Um, if the harvest was all in, they would actually put out offerings of food for the Fae at this point um, because the veil is so thin right now or during this holiday. And so if there was nothing left in the field, they could leave something in the field for the Fae. But if there's nothing left, they'd harvest it all already, which often they did. They'd actually put out um, part of the harvest for the Fae on this night. Correct. And one um, also thing associated with the harvest that this is um, something that Tara is currently studying Druidry. So uh, we mentioned that in the last uh, episode that she was on and tons of you were like, yes, Tara, come back and talk about uh, <laughs> Druidry. So we're definitely going to do that in uh, 2022. She'll be back for a Druidry um, episode. But specifically during this time of year, um, after this sort of harvest work was all completed, uh, all these people would join with Druid priests to light a community fire using yep. a wheel that would cause friction and spark flames. And the wheel was considered a representation of the sun and there were prayers involved, cattle were sacrificed, and then uh, these celebrants would take the flame from this communal bonfire back to their home to relight their hearth fires, yep. uh, which is still a popular thing to do in Ireland today. It's yeah. really about community and getting ready for winter. So you need your fire going. <laughs> Which this, you know, idea of these Druid priests using a wheel to spark the fire um, led to what is still done today, which is like lighting a wheel of hay on fire and rolling it down a hill. So um, cool, guys. But yeah, yeah that's a very uh, popular way to celebrate. <laughs> I mean, I don't oh, like yeah. if you're like, burn, baby, burn. Yeah, if it's, you know, dry season where you are, like I don't like highly recommend this, but they yep. still they still do this. There's a lot of, um, it's more of a European tradition, but there are still places that 
will light a wheel of hate on fire and then roll it down a hill and they like run down the hill with it. It's a lot of fun. If you like look it up on YouTube, it's like really fun to watch, but I would like be terrified to participate in that. I think Tara would do it though. I would totally do it. Um, so some farming communities still do this. It's a lot rare um, in modern times, especially because of the risk of fire um, in the Midwest. It's been a drought for like 10 years. But when I was younger, I remember doing this like just as part of a farming community, not as necessarily uh, a Wiccan tradition. It was just, hey, we got extra hay. Let's burn shit. I mean, <laughs> Sounds like a very Iowa thing to do. It is. It really was. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there are some um, other associations with Samhain, some other traditions that pop up in literature. Um, there's early texts that suggest it was mandatory celebration that was three days and three nights. Yep. And if you failed to participate, you would be punished by the gods, usually for with illness or death. So there's yeah, one. This, I was going <laughs> to say, this goes along with don't eat what's left in the fields or the fae will curse you. Basically, get with the program or you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. There was also a military aspect to it in Ireland and holiday thrones were prepared for um, the soldiers commanders and anyone who committed a crime or used their weapons during the celebration faced a death sentence so <laughs> there is a lot of death associated with this like illness and death if you if you don't do things properly um heading into the new year so that's where this sort of like really dark um sort of imagery comes from associated with with Samhain. well so, and i think in modern times the underworld is considered more a dark place and i think that also kind of creeps into the the conversation on oh it's dark and scary whereas before and, death is just part of life yeah this is when um the dark fairies take over so we had the um, deep dive on fairy episodes and how mentioned how in celtic mythology there are in um, scottish actually there are two um types of fae so there's I can, I will not remember the names, but there is the light fae that are like the nicer fae that rule during the summer. And then the dark fae court takes over in these darker months, the Aoshi. So they are sort of the darker fairy that do more like trickery and are a little bit nastier to, to work with. So those are the ones that sort of come through the veil at this time. So sort of a darker holiday. Yeah. And it is, of course, associated with All Saints Day because the church, you know, comes in and, and takes everything over and it turns all of these pagan holidays into Christianized holidays because people were already celebrating and people don't like to give up what they have done for years when converting to a new religion. Yep. So in order to get these pagans on board with Christianity, they sort of figured out ways to keep their ancient celebrations and their holidays, Samhain being one of them, which they shifted the date of All Saints Day to November 1st. So that is, um, and November 2nd is All Souls Day. So lots of associations with the dead there, but that is where those traditions come from, which then synchronized into the modern day Halloween. Yeah. And in, in case you were wondering, and um, this goes back, many traditions have this at this time of year. I know that um, in Mexican traditions, Day of the Dead is extremely popular at this time of year. Lots of imagery 
about that that you have probably seen around. Everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's di different than Samhain, different than Halloween. It is its own uh, religious holiday. And that is one of my favorite Disney movies, Coco. I recommend oh, yeah, it's so good. I did not think that I would like it because I'm kind of picky about Disney animated movies. And I'm mostly like a talking animal fan. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> doesn't have talking like I'm not a big fan of the princess movies like if it doesn't have talking animals like I'm not really into it so I watch Coco on a whim it's so good it's one of my like all-time it's really nice but it's yeah, it's really, well done. Yeah, that is a great look at um the day of the dead and what they do in that tradition so all of these things associated with this sort of veil being thin a time to honor the dead and honor our ancestors which is really what makes it different from Halloween. Halloween is a very secular holiday, like Thanksgiving. Yeah. There is no one religious association with it. That's just like kids celebrated in school. Like it's just a very mm -hmm. secular holiday. Whereas Samhain is a very religious and spiritual day. That's more about honoring the dead, honoring your ancestors, remembering them, contacting them, and not so much the trick-or-treating for candy and dressing up in costumes. Yeah. Well, and there's nothing wrong with celebrating both the secular and the religious aspects, but yeah, there's definitely a divide on, there are a lot of overlaps, but there's so many completely separate things for the secular versus these uh, more traditional religious celebrations. Yeah, absolutely. My favorite um, for the Day of the Dead is that after families, um, have honored and fed the dead. They expect entertainment. So children are expected to basically perform, play games, also so that the dead can see the newest generations and all of that. I've always found that fascinating. Yeah, kind I agree. Your ancestors to the young. And I agree. So in then Wiccan traditions, because gotten this before, they eight sabbats as they are outlined and set up in the wheel of the year is distinctly Wiccan yeah. tradition. That is, that is where it comes from. However, other pagans outside of Wiccan traditions do celebrate these holidays. Yeah. They are, none of them, like the, the eight, the way they are set up in the eight in the wheel of the year system is Wiccan. That was like put together mm -hmm. by Gerald Gardner, but uh, these holidays obviously are ancient. So some people who or follow a Celtic pagan path will only celebrate the four greater Sabbaths yep. and, you know, ignore the other four. Um, some will, you know, pick and choose based on what they like best or what speaks to them. So any of that is fine, but we do want to talk about the Wiccan side of each of these in case you are following the Wiccan tradition, which is what Tara does. So I'm going to let her talk about um, the God and Goddess and everything that's going on with them at this time. So um, at this point, in the wheel of the year, the cycle of life, the goddess is descending from the earth to the land of the dead, where she will see and mate with her beloved, the dying God. So she's already had the baby of summer and all of that. Um, she's opening the door of the world for the dead, which is why the, the veil is so thin at this point. There are different rituals to honor her descent um, and honor the dead. We've talked a lot about um, the thin veil and honoring your dead and the ancestors, especially the focus in traditional Wicca is on those who have, may have passed 
in that prior year. So um, in the Wiccan tradition, there's a lot of different specific paths. We've talked about that before. There's so many different types. There's traditional and there's eclectic and there is, uh, there's just a ton. So I won't go into all of those quite so much, um, <laughs> but there's a lot. So depending on your path, this is just a very broad overview on where things are for Wiccans, but your specific path might have a slightly tweaked view or specific traditions that they follow. So again, this is just a very broad overview because there's a lot. Um, <laughs> but a lot of times if you follow um, a Celtic tradition, this is the time when you might uh, invoke Moraine. We've, I believe, talked about her before. Um, so this is one of the great fire festivals, which we've talked about. So a lot, a lot of times it starts with a bonfire and group stuff at sunset. And after the fire burns down, you go home and you celebrate kind of more privately with your family. Um, it's, as we talked about, you talk to your family, both living and past. So your ancestors, if you're working with the Fae, put out a treat, dudes, do it. Don't, don't forget that part, it's important. <laughs> But it's a lot of, um, this is a time to connect for Wiccans a lot of times with the darker aspects, um, maybe the misunderstood aspects of the God and Goddess. It's not all rainbows and smiley, nor should it be. It's about balance in Wiccan. So it's a lot of recognizing that balance as the wheel of, is turning. Um, so I hope that was helpful, not <laughs> droned on. Yeah, I think a lot of people um, don't like to work with that crone energy, that they're just that. a little bit, because well, it's the unknown is scary. Yeah, so, for sure. But obviously in the Wiccan tradition, everything, you know, starts over again. The entire wheel is a circle, just keeps on rolling and you can't have new life without death. So yeah. that's sort of like the balance there. And that's why we like focus on ancestors and honoring the dead just to make that less scary to contact them to remember them and to, for our own sake make it less scary for us yeah the still living so hopefully yes <laughs> so before we get into the fun little pagan origins of jack-o-lanterns and trick-or-treating and costumes I wanted to just run through correspondences really quick that was in our uh, season one episode, lots of different correspondences. So yes, there's a lot in the first one, guys. Yeah, a lot, <laughs> so a lot longer and a lot like longer list of, of ways to celebrate. So to just go over them really quick to give you a reminder, the symbols of Salon are pumpkins, cauldrons, brooms, black candles, and pomegranates, which is no surprise there. They're all the same as Halloween. The herbs and flowers oh, are... The herbs and flowers are broom, mandrake, rosemary, sage, nutmeg, wormwood, and calendula. The foods are apples, pumpkins, cider, dark wine, pears, and root vegetables. Yep. The colors, again, no surprise, are black, orange, purple, silver, gold, and white. And Halloween, guys. <laughs> exactly. The crystals are anything black, so jet, onyx, obsidian, uh, bloodstone, carnelian, and smoky quartz. The animals are the bat, cat, owl, and raven. And the some of the deities, there are a lot of deities. So and many. 
this changes, of course, like based on your own tradition and even, you know, within traditions, some people have different associations with different gods and goddesses. Like you mm-hmm. can have, you know, 10 people in the room who work with the Morgan or Hecate and all 10 of them will have completely different experiences and associations yeah. with them. So just because we say that these deities are associated with Samhain doesn't mean that they will work that way for you. So take that for what it is. <laughs> so anyway, these- As always, these are overarching and your particular path may vary. <laughs> yes. So the deities, of course, in the Wiccan tradition, it's the horned god. There's also Ishtar, Orsis, Loki, Persephone, and Dionysus. And I feel like Dionysus is just associated with every celebration because it's she's yeah. like, or one, yeah, it's like one party. Just, yeah, party. <laughs> <laughs> so some ways to celebrate. Uh, we already talked about the having the dinner and a feast. It is called mm-hmm. a dumb supper, but uh, it'll just say dump suppers. Yeah. I think a lot of, um, terminology is moving over to say silent instead, because that's what it means. Dumb. They're saying silent. So it's completely in silence. Um, have like putting out a feast. You can have living people around the table and you set a place for your ancestors and put whatever you're eating and drinking into that place setting, but then everyone eats in complete silence. So, and don't eat their food. Yes, never, never eat their food. Those of offerings the way that you normally do. But yes, that's not for you. But otherwise, connecting and connecting with and honoring the dead at this time, which you can see across many different traditions. Obviously, making a bonfire, which is Tara's favorite activity. Always dressing in costume, which will get into in a minute of where that tradition comes from, but dressing in costume, you know, goes along with the Halloween tradition, but for Samhain specifically, people like to dress in a costume that's associated with the intentions that they're going to set for the new year. So this is considered the witch's new year. And it's a good time to sort of set goals and intentions the same way that a lot of people do on January 1st. Mm -hmm. So you set your intentions and figure out what you know, energy and things you're going to be doing in the next 12 months, and then pick a costume to wear that's sort of associated with that. Something that, you know, if you are looking for more like peace and clarity, something associated with that, whereas if you are looking for like confidence and power, you know, a different costume associated with that, just to remind yourself throughout the day and bring those positive feelings and intentions into your new year. And then, of course, the last one is divination. Divination is super popular uh, this time of year because it is easier to work with spirits or to ask your ancestors to help you. So tarot is very popular. Uh, Pendulums are very popular. Whatever your favorite mode of divination is, um, the time to do this. And it's a good time specifically to see what's coming for the entire next 12 months. Well, and there's... Um, I don't think we talked about this last time, but there's like a specific tradition, um, that I had forgotten about and then was reminded of, and I couldn't believe I forgot, but apple peel divination is popular this time of year where you peel the apple and you let it float into water. And, uh, then it will give you the initial of the person you'll marry. I had forgotten that tradition. And I was really excited when I was told about it recently. And I was like, oh yeah, I haven't done that in years. And I think I might do it this year. 
Oh yeah. That, I forgot about that one. That is a super popular one. Yeah. It's a super popular. It's very easy to do. It's really fun. And then you have a delicious apple to eat after you're done peeling it. And who would not enjoy that? Right. I love apples. <laughs> so yeah, a lot of great ways to sort of celebrate and recognize the Samhain side of things as opposed to just the secular Halloween side of mm-hmm. things. So if you are going to be doing any of these or want to share your other ideas of how you're going to be celebrating on this day, definitely head over to Discord. Um, it's free. You can sign up for free and completely anonymous and chat with everybody uh, from the community that's over there that uh, they are always sharing uh what they're going to be doing for Sabbaths. They share what their altars look like, like lots of good stuff happening over there. So if you want to um, join the community and chat about what it is you're going to be doing, you will have lots of people to connect with. (laughs) So we are going to get into then some pagan origins of things, things that are associated specifically with Halloween. So you can kind of understand, um, you know, where they sort of come from. Yep. So let's start then with jack-o'-lanterns because that's a, because yeah. that's a creepy story. So. But a fun time. Yeah, fun time. So jack-o'-lanterns are actually very popular, common, and they have come a long way. They used to yep. be carved into turnips. And for many years, they were associated with keeping away fae and dark spirits. But the name Jack-O-Lantern specifically comes from an Irish folktale about a man named Stingy Jack. And Stingy Jack. According to to the legend, Stingy Jack invited the devil to have a drink with him. But of course, true to his name, Stingy Jack didn't want to pay for his drink. So he convinced the devil to turn himself into a coin so that Jack could use the devil as that coin to buy their drinks. So once the devil did that, Jack decided to keep the money and put it into his pocket next to a silver cross. And the silver cross prevented the devil from changing back into his original form. So eventually Jack freed the devil under the condition that he wouldn't bother Jack for one year and that if jack were to die then he wouldn't claim his soul so the next year it's always good to make a deal with someone you've already double crossed guys yeah right so (laughs) the the next year jack tricked the devil again and convinced him to climb into a tree and pick a piece of fruit while he was up there jack carved a sign of the cross into the tree so that the devil could not come back down until the devil promised jack not to bother him for 10 more years so when Jack died, as the legend says, God would not allow such an unsavory figure into heaven. And mm-hmm. the devil, who was obviously still pissed off at Jack, um, not happy. <laughs> but the devil always keeps his word. So mm-hmm. the devil kept his word not to claim his soul and wouldn't allow him to come into hell. So he sent Jack off into the dark night with only a burning coal to light his way. And Jack put the coal into a carved out turnip and is said to have been roaming the earth ever since. And the Irish began to refer to this figure as Jack of the Lantern and then simply Jack o' Lantern. So, that is uh, where those that creepy name comes from. That's why we call them Jack o' Lanterns. Mm-hmm. And in Ireland and Scotland, people began to make their own versions of Jack's Lanterns by 
carving these scary faces into turnips or potatoes and then placing them in windows or near doors to frighten away Stingy Jack and other wandering evil spirits. Yep. And then immigrants, when they came over to the United States, brought this jack-o'-lantern tradition, but pumpkins are a fruit native to America. That So they made a better jack-o'-lantern. So that's why we use pumpkins here. <laughs> yes, you can use other things, but pumpkins are by far the easiest guys and they hold up pretty darn well. <laughs> yeah, it's good. Turnip, turnips are difficult. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just harder to carve like a little face. It's just onto, harder to carve, yeah. Yeah, onto a, a smaller, you know, fruit or gourd. So pumpkins are just much easier. Not that they're that easy. I don't find pumpkin carving that easy. Like I'm not great at it. I'm not very artistic, so. I'm not either. Mine usually are uh, pretty basic, but then I take all the pumpkin seeds and I eat the crap out of them. After I cake, after I bake them, don't eat them raw, guys. <laughs> Uh, so into the ancient origins of trick-or-treating and costumes. So these are, these, I say them together because they sort of go together um, for the reasons like people would dress up in costumes to get these sort of treats. So that is kind of why, why they go together. Um, but the ancient Celts would originally dress up in various costumes, spooky ones. So oh, as yeah. an animal or a monster. creatures, guys. Yeah, in order to confuse any of the fairies that were going to come through the veil. So again, mm -hmm. this time of fairies is more like trickster evil fairies. So they would want to, you know, of course leave those offerings to appease any of them, but also dress up in various costumes so that they would confuse them and not come after the humans you were less like believed to be less likely to be kidnapped if you were dressed in those costumes and so they'd also roam around villages to keep the spirits from going into the village so they wouldn't actually go door to door they just kind of roam around making a lot of racket around the village yes and this was called mummers mummering mumming mumming or souling yeah so um mummers you will still see um in in some cities, but I know heavily in um, Pennsylvania, they have a Mummers Day parade on um, January 1st, which I only know because my friend Steph, who listens to this podcast and also has a blog at lifeaccordingtostuff.com, her husband is a mummer and they dress in these crazy elaborate costumes and go on parade on January 1st. And it's always so fun to see what they do. This is actually what they call the people that are on the floats during Mardi Gras as well, mummers. Mummers, yes, this mm -hmm. idea of, of dressing in, in these costumes. And um, strange elaborate costumes and drawing attention away from people. Mm -hmm. yeah, it goes back super far, so. Yeah, many traditions have this, but yes, they're called mummers. Yeah. So there you go. Uh, but then in addition to that, of course, this idea of then going into trick-or-treating with these costumes it, of course, is because of Christianity. <laughs> so when Christianity then spread into this Celtic area um, and they converted it over to All Souls Day and celebrating the dead, then those kind of, you know, two melded together, they still had these bonfires and masquerades, but it changed then into the poor people of the villages would visit the houses of wealthier families and receive 
pastries called soul cakes in Mm -hmm. exchange for a promise to pray for the souls of the homeowner's dead relatives. And sometimes mostly the dead children. Yes. And they Mm -hmm. would dress up in costumes to hide who they were because they were part of this community and you, you know, it was taboo to sort of show that you were poor Mm -hmm. to your, to your wealthy neighbors. So, you know, these communities were so small, they all knew each other. So they would dress up in costumes to hide who they were, but then still be able to go to these wealthier homes and get these soul cakes. So that sort of started this idea of going door to door. And then later the idea was taken up specifically by children and children would go door to door and they would ask for food, money, drinks, um, all of those things. And then that eventually turned into what we think of as uh, trick-or-treating. So in a very specific area, Somerset in the British Isles, this was kind of interesting. So I'm not sure how it developed specifically, but they would actually ask for not only food and drink, but they'd ask for money for fireworks. And it was held on October 30th. And then all the children that got money for fireworks would set off the fireworks on the 31st of October. Which, that had to be a noisy night. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> um, and specifically the idea of where the trick part came from in trick or treat mm-hmm. was from a tradition called guising. So this is from Scotland and Ireland and it's spelled G-U-I-S-I-N-G. And that was, again, dressing up in costume, accepting offerings from various households, but rather than pledging to pray for the dead, they instead would sing a song, recite a poem, tell a joke, or otherwise perform some sort of trick before collecting their treat, which was fruit, nuts, coins, all all of those things that they were collecting. So that's where this sort of trick idea comes from. So lots lots of fun. I was going to say, also traditionally, it was something that you could blame on the fairies. So pranks traditionally were things like taking the door off the hinges, uh, soaping windows, deep picketing fences, which as someone who's put together a fence, that would be so hard to put back together. But anyway, um, so it was a lot of the pranks that were originally done were things that could be blamed on the fairies as well. Um, Specifically then moving into the United States because blaming things on fairies is more common in Western Europe. Yes, very much you know, ancient British traditions, Celtic, Scottish, all those areas are more likely to believe in the Fae and blame things on the Fae, but not as much in the United States. Nope. So in the United States, it's obviously, you know, the, the immigrants that revive these traditions in the U.S., but mm-hmm. um, in true U.S. fashion, we don't associate <laughs> with any sort we of- take things over and we change them. Yeah, we make them worse and uh, (laughs) remove any sort of religious aspects to it. Um, So in the 1920s, it really turned into pranks becoming the Halloween activity of choice for young people. Um, Because they were fighting the power, fighting the man. Of course. And it it is believed that the Great Depression just made this problem worse um, with this sort of Halloween mischief then 
becoming vandalism, physical assaults, violence. So these excessive pranks on Halloween led to the widespread adoption of community-based trick-or-treating in the 1930s. And then yep, it was to make it a safer time for children and families. Yes. Give them an outlet. But then of course mm-hmm. this um, trend was abruptly ended uh, with the outbreak of World War II because there was sugar rationing. So there were no treats to hand out. But then at the height of the post-war baby boom, uh, trick-or-treating then came back with all of the other um, Halloween customs. And then of course, baby boom, we get into you know the 70s and 80s and high times of you know wealth in the United States. So that's when there's no more sugar rationing. Candy companies totally capitalized on this and then launched their national ad campaign specifically aimed at Halloween. So that is where all this candy comes from because uh, it's estimated that we spend, <laughs> we spend $2.6 billion on candy on Halloween in America. Uh, so this became wildly popular worldwide at the end of World War II because uh, the US was so busy exporting our culture everywhere uh, jeans became popular and Halloween traditions became popular. So if you go to European countries, most big cities in Europe now celebrate Halloween Americanized, which is children go door to door in apartments to get candy and they dress up in costumes and things of that nature, which I find amusing. So I'll get out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Lots, lots of, um, American imperialism going on. Yes, a lot of that happening. <laughs> Mostly bad, but Halloween traditions I'm not mad about. So no, no, we have we came up with with some good stuff. I mean, I will take um trick-or-treating and, and costumes. <laughs> Ditto. Uh but yeah, even with people who celebrate the super secular Halloween, like I do, like no no judgment as I totally do that. Um, It often evolves into then November 1st and 2nd really being like the honoring your ancestors day. Um, That's specifically when you're allowed, here in Chicago at least, um, allowed to redecorate the graves. So they have- um, That's nice. Yeah, they have- um different I can't remember the exact dates but they have like a spring date and a fall date where you have to have everything off the graves by this date in the spring because they come around and do the spring cleanup of the grounds and mowing the lawns and all those things and getting it all nice and then you can put your decorations back out and they also have a date in the fall which is in early October um where you have to have everything off because then they do the fall cleanup to Mm -hmm. you know get everything ready and seed the grass and get it all set to for winter and then on November 1st you can come back out and put wintery decorations out so those are the those are the rules here I don't know if it's that way everywhere but it's interesting that it lines up with all souls day I was gonna say uh the rules are slightly different here in Iowa um but I think I've talked about this before when my mom was growing up it was traditional not Wiccan or witchcraft just as a community where there were days in the spring and fall where you would go and have a picnic at the cemetery with your ancestors. Um, so there's a long time tradition in this area of 
everyone going and just hanging out at the cemetery on some very specific days. And those do line up with the wheel of the year, um, ancestor holidays when the veil is the thinnest. And it just, it wasn't Christian based. It was completely secular around here, just as a farming community. They didn't really talk about the veil thinning or uh, underworlds or anything of that nature. It was just the family would get together, bring a picnic basket and hang out at the cemetery with their relatives. I have seen that before. Yep. My mom said she did it the whole time she was growing up until she went to college. Yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one. I feel like that would be kind of fun. <laughs> right? I was like, but I oh, really like cemeteries. I know some people are very uncomfortable in them. Um, John's side of the fam- family and parents and sister and everything. I really don't ever visit the cemeteries. They really like feel uncomfortable there, but you know, me and my mom are like there all the time. Like we feel totally comfortable in cemeteries and not even just the one where my dad is buried. Like I visit like lots of them. I can't even tell you when I, we do like, we call it graving. My mom says we're going graving today and she brings decorations to put on like every family member's graves. We must visit like seven cemeteries in a day. So yeah, we are, we're very comfortable there. Um, I really like you know, cemeteries, I feel like they're a peaceful spot. Um, if you want to, you know, get into cemeteries and feel like you want to visit them and it feels uncomfortable for you, then I direct you back to, in the summer, I want to say, I had an episode on um, graveyards in witchcraft and yep. how to approach them. And if you have that uncomfortable feeling, it might be because you've never left an offering. There is a guardian of cemeteries. Um, changes depending on your tradition of who you think that is but usually offering then you sort of feel like they let you know that it's okay then to be in there and makes you much more comfortable with the space so highly recommend that too yeah I would agree um some cemeteries are uncomfortable for me some are not the ones where my relatives are buried I've been to many times um we don't picnic with them currently but mostly because it's a distance thing. None of them are near where I live. They're all in different parts of Iowa. So, but we visited them my whole childhood. Yeah, I think it's, yeah. When you have somebody buried there, it's a little more welcoming feeling, I think. Well, and I think a lot of times when you go somewhere that you know someone's buried, um, you bring a gift for that person. And I think that helps with the cemetery guardian be more accepting of you. They know that you're there for a reason not to steal or do anything bad right. to those they guard. Very true. So those are all of the Samhain and Halloween pagany things pagan-y. that we, uh, <laughs> yeah, we wanted to talk about for this episode because we definitely both love this holiday and love this. Yes, very much time so. Of year. Um, so my time, guys. <laughs> her time um mine too because technically halloween is scorpio season because it is out, it is we've moved out of libra season you libras are over <laughs> we're never over yeah over we're scorpio season now baby <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i do all halloween things on october 30th 31st because i think this year we're doing like sort of celebrating, you know, small again, because COVID on the 30th and then trick-or-treating in my area will be on the 31st, which is a Sunday. So I would be like fully Halloween for the weekend, but then I will probably move over into someone type things on November 1st and 2nd. So that is, that is my plan. I haven't figured out 
I know that it's this weekend, but I, I haven't figured out exactly what I'm going to be doing yet. <laughs> um, I will probably be in the kitchen. I mean, Tara's more of a yeah, no. <laughs> kitchen witch than I am, but I feel like this is just a good time for treats. And yeah. oh, I have um, I have recipes over on Patreon if you're interested, and I will be making the drinks that I posted on Patreon. That's definitely going to happen for Halloween. Um, but yeah, I have treats on there and recipes for Samhain that I will probably be making some of those. Um, and I usually do some sort of divination with tarot cards, but mm -hmm. a lot of options. So I don't know exactly what I'm going to be doing. We will see. Well, I will be doing uh, some divination for the coming year. And of course, a lot of baking, cooking, um, all of those kinds of things. I've got a couple of new books for recipes that are uh, specifically witch recipes. So I'm pretty excited to break into those and uh, start the year with some new magical uh, items. Oh, that's gonna be fun. Yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, because witchcraft has become so popular, we've talked about in unpopular opinions that I'm so excited by all the new books and there are specifically witch cookbooks now. And um, yeah, I may have gone and splurged on some of them, a few of them, a lot of them, whatever you want to <laughs> Everyone she could get her hands on? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> so we're going to, I'm trying to wait until uh, the beginning of the year to break into the recipe section, but I've read a bunch of them and I uh, am planning on doing quite a bit for. <laughs> oh, I totally love it. I'm very excited. <laughs> I'm very excited. But again, head over to Discord or uh, Instagram, which Wednesday's podcast, if you want to chat with us about what you are going to be doing, because we are always looking for new ideas. So always guys, it's so much fun traditions, but it's also fun to make new traditions, which is just trying something new. It is. And it's like so hard to get together with people in person still. I mean, yeah. we talked about this in last year's episode. It's absolutely crazy that we're still talking about this. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, yeah, there are lots of places still have various levels of restrictions. So it's hard to get together with people and, you know, have any sort of coven like interaction or interact with other witches like in person. So yeah. the fact that we can at least do it online and get ideas from each other is nice. Nice option. I don't know what we would have done years ago. Yeah, <laughs> without the online Yeah, I would agree. Uh, but that is everything that we are going to share to wrap this episode up. So thank you for joining us, but not the last time that you are going to hear from Tara. She's actually going to be back again uh, later on this year. <laughs> it was supposed Yay. to be a surprise. <laughs> well, we already ruined it by saying that you're going to be in every element episode and oh. we have not done the water element <laughs> or earth. We haven't done earth yet. Earth is the last one. <laughs> well, then fine. It wasn't that big a surprise, but all right. Well, I will talk to everyone later. Bye guys. Bye. Need even more witchcraft? Subscribe to Patreon for exclusive bonus content three times a week and order Sabbat boxes and other supplies at witchwednesdays.com. Be sure to follow on Instagram at witchwednesdays podcast.